0: Well, good evening, men. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's go ahead and get started. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into it. Lord, we love you. Thank you for bringing all these men here safely tonight, keeping them safe in the weather. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that we have a man in David, Lord, who although he had a lot of sin in his life, Lord, he would turn back to you. He would repent. And Lord, he's a man that we can look at and in many ways, Lord, we can identify with. And so, God, as we just continue to walk through this study, I pray you'll draw us close to yourself. I pray you'll speak directly to our hearts. And Lord, tonight as we talk about David's response to the anointing on his life, Lord, I pray for each man in here, Lord, as they search their own heart and ask what you've called them to do. Lord, that if they're walking in that, that they would rejoice. And if they're not, God, I pray you'll show them what that is and help them make the first step in that direction. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I do want to apologize. We've got some technical difficulty. This screen is out tonight. We'll work on getting that fixed for next week, so it may be a little difficult, I think, to see right over here. But uh, this screen is working tonight. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and what I want to do is I want to read these first 13 verses. We're just going to kind of walk through them together, I just kind of want to set the stage to the point where Samuel gets ready to anoint David, because what I want us to see here is that basically God told Samuel to pass by every boy, every guy in that family that honestly would have made sense for God to call. If you looked at them, they were older. They were wiser. They had more experience. Usually your firstborn, secondborn, and so forth, they've just got a little bit, a lot of times more leadership skill because they've got the younger ones coming up underneath them. But each time we'll see that God said, no, not that one, no, not that one, no, not that one. So I want us to see and get to the point where Samuel ends up anointing David. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, look at verse 1 with me. It said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Remember we talked about that last week. God says through Samuel to Saul, you've messed up. You've sinned, and then what happened was Saul did not repent. And so David uh, the God ends up telling Saul through Samuel that I have found somebody else that's going to lead the Israelites and he's a man after my own my own heart. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you." So the instructions to Samuel seem pretty clear. You're going to go to Bethlehem, you're going to take a a horn of oil, you're going to anoint who I say is going to be king and it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. Verse four, Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? Now why would they do this? Well, they knew he was a prophet. And oftentimes the prophets came in and what did they say? Repent. They told them repent or else. And so a lot of times when they would see prophets coming, they would say, oh, oh, what's about to happen? And so they asked him, they said, do you come in peace? And he he said, yes. He said, in peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So he invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. So the question would be, when he sees Eliab, why does he automatically think that's God's man? Right, because he looks the part. He was probably a little bit taller. He was probably a little bit stronger. He probably had a good appearance. What does God always tell him? Don't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so Samuel looks at him and says, this has got to be the guy. Now also remember, Saul was a lot taller than everybody else. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody. So Samuel, even though he was following the Lord, he had in his mind what he thought the king was going to look like. How many of you have ever gotten into a situation in your life and you thought, I know exactly what needs to happen, I know exactly how I need to do this, and yet it turns out to be totally opposite of what you ever thought? it's always amazing how God has a plan, and rarely does it meet up exactly with how our plan looks. And so Samuel says, uh, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel, and the Lord Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Now, it's interesting. Why is it that Jesse has only brought before Samuel the seven? Why did he not have all eight of them there lined up? somebody's got to look after these animals, and there's no way God is going to anoint the runt. I mean, mean, honestly, that's just the reality. God's not going to pick the, the smallest one. God's not going to pick the youngest one. God's not going to choose him. And so Jesse didn't even have the wherewithal to bring David to even be considered in the situation. And so Samuel asked him, are these all of your sons you have? And this is what he says, they're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, Send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, Anoint him, for he is the one. Look at verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. So God instructs Samuel, go to Jesse. One of his sons, I'm going to anoint as king. He shows up for the sacrifice, invites Jesse to be a part of it, then tells him, hey, God's going to anoint one of your boys as king. Jesse only brings seven of the eight to the table because he didn't think the eighth one was worthy, and somebody had to watch the sheep. Samuel says, God has said no to all of these. Bring the last one. God brings David Uh, Jesse brings David before him, and as soon as he walks into the room, God says, that's the one. God says, that's the one. Why did God say, that's the one? Well, we know a couple chapters earlier, he said, I found a man that is after my own heart. And he found a man that everybody else said no to. He found a man that Samuel wouldn't have thought yes to because as soon as he sees the taller, stronger one, he thinks that's the guy. He found a man that even his daddy didn't think that he was the right one for the job. How many of you know it's always, not always, but more often than not, God typically uses somebody that almost doesn't even make sense. I look all throughout Scripture and see how God uses people and it amazes me. I think about the people in my life and I've been, honored to know some very godly people. I've been honored to have been mentored some by Brother Steve. I've been honored to have been discipled and mentored from a couple pastors from a couple other churches that are very dear friends to me. But I'll be honest with you, some of the men that I respect the most in my life, are some lay leader guys that were not on staff, they were not ordained pastors, they were men that just loved God, they went to work, they worked hard, they went home, they loved their families well, and they just poured into people. And I'm gonna give you an example of one of those guys. When I think of giants of the faith, I think of a guy named James Kent. James served as the chairman of the deacons at my dad's church in Alabama. So My dad graduated from mid-America in 1999. We packed up our two little cars, and we drove down to Talladega, Alabama. Now, is anybody from Talladega? Nobody? Okay. All right, if you're from there, you have to say Talladega, but it's an E, so I don't know where they get it from, okay? They're from Alabama, though. We'll let it go. So We moved down to Talladega, Alabama, and I begin to meet different people in the church, and all of a sudden, I meet this man named James Kent. At the time, I think Brother James was about 125 years old. Brother James did everything at that church, not because he wanted to be in charge, but because he wanted to serve. And I watched this man, and to be fair with you, he was 86 when we moved there, but he looked a whole lot older than that. He had just worked hard his whole life. And I watched this man one day climb up on the roof to save the church $400 because he could replace the shingles instead of the company down the road. I watched this man on Sunday mornings get down on his knees and tie little kids' shoes in the nursery. I watched this man help in a second grade boy Sunday school class and teach them the books of the Bible and teach them how much God loves them. And I remember thinking that's exactly what a giant of the faith looks like. A man that works hard, a man that goes home and he honors his family, and a man that just loves God with everything he had. And when I think about giants of the faith, I think about James Kent. See, oftentimes it's not the guys we think that are going to be at the forefront of everything that God uses. Now, he does use those often. But a lot of times it's the little guys that we would never put in that position. So God looks at David and says, he is the man. And he tells Samuel to anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Now how do you think that made them feel? I mean, you think about it. Jesse had to have had a conversation with these boys. Hey, listen, one of you is about to be king, all right? So go ahead and figure out who it's going to be. And those old boys probably walked in there with their chests puffed out a little bit. They were probably standing pretty tall, and they were probably strutting a little bit because they knew one of them was going to be king. No chance David was going to be. Then David walks in humbly, and God says, that's the man. And Samuel anoints him in front of his brothers. So I want us to take just a few minutes around the table and I want us to answer this question when we look at this and we read this, it doesn't give us a whole lot about David's response to the anointing. We're going to see a little bit further on when we look at these next few verses, but I want us to answer the question, what was David's response to God's call? What was David how did David respond? When Samuel took the horn and oil and anointed him, I just want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to discuss it for a few minutes, and then we're going to come back and talk about it a little bit more from the platform, okay? Everybody ready? I don't know what just happened. All right, guys, let's bring it back to the platform for a few minutes. I hope you had some good discussion at your table as I was really praying through this and reading through it and just asking the Lord, you know, what is here that shows how David received this because I'm just trying to imagine the youngest receiving this in front of all of his brothers, knowing that all of them probably deserved it over him because of their stature, because of their age, because of their wisdom. Here's a big one, because of their experience. But yet God had chosen him. And here he gets anointed in front of all of his brothers. And as I looked at this and prayed through it and and was reading a, a couple commentaries on it, there was one thing that stuck out about David when he was really young. It was his humility. And so here's David's response to God's call. Number one, he humbly received it. He humbly received it. Here's how we know he wasn't arrogant in his reception of this anointing because we know that God hates pride. He hates it. He spews it out of his mouth. And God was looking at this young man knowing how he was gonna use him But David just receives it. He doesn't push back. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't make a scene. I don't know exactly what it looked like because it doesn't give us a whole lot of information right here. But what we know is right there in front of his brothers, God anointed, uh, Samuel anointed David. So he humbly received it. Look at what it says in verse 13 again. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And listen to this. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. It says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully onto David. Now this is interesting because just a ch- couple chapters earlier, we begin to see, more than a couple chapters earlier, we begin to see the fall of Saul. We begin to see a lot of arrogance. We begin to see a lot of bad decisions. We begin to see him rebelling against the Lord. And what we end up seeing is the, Holy, the Spirit of God leaves Saul. Leaves Saul. And here the Spirit of God falls upon David. You know, it's interesting. In James chapter 4, verse 6, one of my favorite passages, this is what it says. But he gives greater grace, therefore, he says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I want to just say right now, I pray that every day. Guys, I don't know about you, but I pray that every day before I read my Bible. I say, Lord, today I'm making a choice to draw near to you. I thank you that in James chapter 4, you promise me that you will draw near to me. I'd encourage you to pray it, guys, because it says it right there, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It says, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable. What does he mean, double-minded? You cannot be in the word and in the world at the same time. You cannot walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh at the exact same time. You can do one or you can do the other, but you can't do them at the same time. So he's trying to put your mind on things above. Don't be double-minded. Follow the Lord. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your minds. Purify your hearts. He says be miserable and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom and look at verse 10 humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you i want you to think about little david he doesn't even get the invitation to come into the room and be around the table for samuel to even take a look at him instead he's doing what he's watching the sheep you know who watched the sheep not the most important people in the family. They were out there with the old stinky sheep taking care of them. And they were taking them all around and making sure they had food and water and all of those things, but he didn't even get an invitation to be there. And what does God do to him? He exalts him and makes him the king. But you know, I think humility is really a lost art, especially among men in today's culture. I think arrogance is one of the most repulsive things a person can can carry a lot of times you see it in the way somebody walks a lot of times you hear it in the way somebody talks it can be in their tone it can be in their posture it can be the way they respond to people i believe that you and i have absolutely nothing to give to this world we have nothing to give to our jobs we have nothing to give to our families we have nothing to give to each other apart from the grace of god and what God's done in our lives. And if you stay in a state of mind that realize we are nothing without Christ, as a matter of fact, you do not have the ability to even breathe on your own. And if you had the ability to breathe on your own, you don't have the ability to create the oxygen in which your lungs need. So we are totally and completely dependent upon God. Years ago, we had a pastor come and preach at one of our Awesome Augusts. It was either the first or second one Brother Steve did. He preached on a Wednesday night. I believe it was the last Wednesday night of Awesome August, and he took us to the last verse found in, Psal- in the book of Psalms. So it's Psalms 150, verse 6, and it says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And this guy says up on the platform, what if we reversed that verse just a little bit, and said it this way. Let everything that praises the Lord have breath. He asked the question, how long would you last? He said, would you last a minute? Would you last an hour? Would you last a month? Would you last a year? And you know what? It was like a dagger in my heart as he asked the question. And if you walk into my office in a big old frame, That verse sits right there in my office to this day as a reminder. You see, we can't do anything apart from God. And I believe God is calling us to be mighty men of God, and this is what David was. He was a mighty man of God, but he calls us to do it humbly. So I want us to discuss this question for a few minutes around the table. Why does the Lord bless humility? Why does he bless it? And why is humility oftentimes difficult for men specifically? So why does the Lord bless humility, and why is it oftentimes difficult for men to be humble? Take some time around your table to discuss it. Here we go. All right, guys, sorry about that. How many of you were in the 11 o'clock service on Sunday? Is anybody? Was that not the coolest thing y'all have ever seen, that our pastor preaches on praying for Jerusalem? and At the end of the service, for those that weren't in there, if you haven't heard, the pastor at a Baptist church in Jerusalem, was here at the service, and he walked down front and saw Brother Steve, and he's sitting right back here. So everybody turn around and wave to, wave to Brother Al right there. Thank you for being here, Brother Al. I was, I was preaching for a friend of mine at First Baptist Milan on Sunday, and when I got home, I pulled up Facebook, and everybody that was in the 11 o'clock service saying, you will not believe what happened at Bellevue this morning. I thought, the one Sunday I'm gone... The one Sunday I go somewhere else, God does something phenomenal, and so I went back and watched it. So thank you, brother. We, we love you and appreciate you so much. Well, we talked a little bit about humility. David has received this anointing. Now, I, I don't think David has any clue what's about to happen. He doesn't know what's going to transpire. He doesn't know what the future looks like. He doesn't know what all is going to unfold. But what we do know is that he was willing to accept that call. He's willing to accept that call. And so the second thing I want us to see in David's response to God's call is he humbly received it. Secondly, he willingly obeyed it. He willingly obeyed the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but on occasion, God calls me to do something. I say, Lord, I just don't know if I want to do that. I'll give you an example. When I was 18 years old, my dad's church in Alabama was going to send a mission team to South Africa, and they were going to build a church there. And so they sent four men from our church that were all in the construction world. We had an electrician. We had a builder. We had a guy that worked with, with um, uh, inspection and all that stuff and knows how that stuff goes. And, and we had one of the guys in foundation work. And so they said, we need one more guy to go, but what we need is we need somebody that can work with all the children in the village we are going to build the church. So he's not going to build the church. He's going to keep all the children out of the way so nobody gets hurt. And so prayed about it and end up going. So this is my first mission trip. My parents aren't going. I'm 18 years old. I go with four other men in the church. We go to South Africa, and while we're there, they take us to Mozambique. They take us to a couple smaller villages, and I just begin to see the poverty of South Africa. And God just begins working on my heart. And God, I felt, said to me, you're going to stay right here in South Africa. You're not leaving. And I said, Lord, that, that's not going to happen, okay, because I was there at the airport when my mom pulled Roger Vandermel and very, very close to her face and said, I'm just going to tell you right now, when that plane lands, my boy better be on it. And so I already knew Roger was not going to let me stay in South Africa because he was not going to go home and mess with Mama. And so I just began to struggle through it, wrestle through it a little bit, and I finally called my dad. Two days before he left, I said, Dad, I I can't explain this, but I think God may be calling me to stay here, and I don't want to stay here. And my dad walks me through some scripture, encourages me, and he said, Don't you think you ought to finish high school at least? Maybe God's calling you to do it, but can you at least just get your degree? You've got two months left. Can you at least get your degree? And if God's leading you, then we'll just take you back over there and drop you off. And you know what happened? I I got some wise counsel, kind of taught me off the cliff, and what was happening was God was beginning to change my heart away from the things that I wanted and focusing on the things that he wanted. And over the next two years, God made it very clear he was not calling me at that time in my life to the foreign mission field. But I remember being scared to death, and I remember not being willing at the time. I wanted to be obedient, but I just wasn't for sure if now was the right time, and I wasn't for sure that I really wanted to do this. And I found that my prayer life was not lined up with how Jesus told his disciples to pray. When they asked Jesus, how should we pray, Connor? He said, you should pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what I began to realize is that 99% of my prayer life was all about my will, very little about God's will. And over those couple of years, as I wrestled through God's calling in my life, I realized that I had a very strong issue in my life about willingly obeying. I want you to look at what happens in the second half of this chapter, beginning in verse 14. It says that, Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. Now that'll that'll mess with you a little bit right there. Lord, wasn't it bad enough you took your spirit away from him? You had to send another evil spirit to torment him, but the, but the Lord did because he had chosen to rebel and he had chosen not to follow him. And so Saul's servants said to him, you see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre or the harp and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. Look at verse 18. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and wineskin and one young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Now, David is called by King Saul. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Samuel has just anointed King David to be the next king of Israel. Consequently, takes away his spirit from Saul, sends a tormenting spirit on Saul, and he can't sleep at night. So the people that are with him say, hey, listen, you need to get somebody to play the harp. It'll calm your nerves. You just need a little music in your life. That's what you need. It'll calm you and allow you to rest and sleep, and the evil spirit will leave you. There's all types of studies done on the music and the harp and all that stuff, and we're not going to dig into that right now, but this is what they say. Find somebody like that. He says, okay, go and get him. Find him." Then one young man stands up. He said, listen, I saw a guy, one of the sons of Jesse. Now, isn't it fascinating that by happenstance, Right after God has anointed, right after Samuel has anointed David, that David is the young man that this guy knew. And that Saul sends them to go and get David and bring David back to him. And then David plays the harp. And Saul ends up loving David. Isn't it fascinating that God brings their paths together? Some would say that was by happenstance. Some would say that was by chance. Some some would say that is lucky. We know there's no such thing. That's the sovereignty of God at work, that God would bring David and go ahead and set him beside Saul, who was the one that was king. He's getting ready to be king at some point, and now he's going to get to spend time with the king, the current king. And so what he does is he just willingly obeys. He just says, all right. Here we go. David loads it up. It does not say that David fought. It does not say that David complained. It does not say that David whined. It doesn't say that David was like Gideon and he said, okay, if this is the case, I'm going to put out a fleece. And when I get up in the morning, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I'll go. No. What does it say? It says the king sent for him. They went and got David and he came back and he played the harp. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yes, but when the king calls for you, you don't say no. You and I do it all the time. We do it almost on a daily basis. Because you know that still small voice that the Lord has placed inside of you, his Holy Spirit, I believe he speaks to us all the time. He says, hey, I want you to witness to that person right there. I want you to give money to that person right there. Hey, don't say that. You need to apologize and ask for forgiveness of what you said last week. You need to go. And you know what? Many times we don't listen And a lot of times we do listen and we disobey. David willingly obeys. David loads up and he heads to King Saul. He plays the harp and the evil spirit leaves Saul. And Saul says, this is pretty good. I want to keep him here. So he sends a message to Jesse to say, let David stay here with me. So here's what I want us to do for a few moments. I want us to answer this question. Why is it difficult sometimes to willingly obey the Lord? And I'm going to tell you in my own life, as I've wrestled with this question over the last four days, here's my response. Because most of the time that the Lord calls me to do something, it messes with my plans. I'm just being honest with you. Most of the time the Lord says, I say, you know what? I, Lord, I, I'm, I'm already doing this. I've already got this going. And so for me, it boiled down to nothing but selfishness. Now, that's me personally. It may be totally different for you. But why is it difficult sometimes in our lives when the Lord calls us to do something to willingly obey? I want you to discuss it for a few minutes around your table. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, let's bring it back to the platform. We're looking at David's response to to being anointed and being called, and we talked about he humbly received it, he willingly obeyed the Lord. And the third thing I want us to see is he in faith took the next step. He in faith took the next step. I think sometimes we we try to figure the whole thing out, and what the Lord is saying, listen, you don't have to have it figured out. You just gotta take the next step. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in Genesis chapter 22. And I find this story fascinating because it's the story of Abraham taking Isaac, and we've, I know we've talked about this before, but I just want us to see how Abraham just takes the next step. He doesn't know what it looks like. God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham doesn't know what it looks like. I can't imagine the conversations between Abraham and Isaac as they're going. We know some of them because it's written there in Genesis chapter 22 where Isaac says, hey, dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham answers him, the Lord will provide, right? But Abraham doesn't know what it looks like. He doesn't know what two steps, three steps down look like. He just knows he's got to take the next step. And the next step is doing exactly what God told him to do. And so it says, when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And we know what happens. He tells him not to, don't, don't kill your son. And they look over and there was a ram caught in the thicket. See, the Lord always provides. Abraham did not know the ram was going to be there. Abraham did not know what 30 seconds down the road looked like. Abraham knew he was called to sacrifice Isaac. And it's exactly what he was going to do. It didn't make sense to Abraham. Abraham knew he was called to do it. And I think sometimes for you and I, especially as men, because we're fixers, the Lord will call us to do stuff, and in our minds, we try to put it all together to figure it all out, and we try to get 17 steps down the road, and God says, listen, don't worry about all that. You just take the next step. Just the next step, and then I'll tell you where the next one is. And in a way, when you think about faith, it's blind. We can't see the whole thing. And so that's really what he's saying. He said, you just blindly take the next step. Because you're following after the Lord. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that leads. And so that's exactly what David does. He just takes that next step of faith. Just takes that next step of faith. So I want you to talk just for a few moments around the table with this question that I'm getting ready to put on the screen. And then I've got an exercise that I want us to do as individuals. Right where you are. By yourself, you don't talk to anybody else about it. We're gonna do it in just a moment, but I want you to take just about six or seven minutes. I may cut that a little bit shorter, but why is the next step oftentimes so difficult for us to take? A few years ago, I met a guy. He became a pretty good friend. We worked together for a little bit, and he was really feeling called to ministry, but he also had this real deep desire to coach sports. And he, we would go to lunch and we would talk about it and I could see him just internally just wrestling. Am I supposed to go preach the word and be a pastor or am I supposed to be a coach? And the question that he kept coming back to is, if God's calling me to preach, why has he given me such a love to coach? And we would just talk about it and we would pray about it and he would read scripture and he would ask questions. And he was very gifted. I thought this guy could be a great preacher. And he came back to me one day, he said, I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I have prayed, and it doesn't make sense, but I believe God's calling me to coach. And he said, I'm going I'm to step down from my intern position at Bellevue, and I've applied for a coaching position at a school here in Memphis. He said, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but he said, I feel like God's told me to do it. So he said, so I resign today, and tomorrow I'm applying for this job. Well, within 48 hours, they had hired him. As an assistant football coach at a school here in Memphis, he gets hired on. The next week, he begins working there. We've texted a little bit, hey man, praying for you. How's everything going? Oh, it's great. And it, you know, just a whirlwind of events because it was right at the beginning of spring training and all that stuff. Anyway, six weeks pass and he calls me. I'm out of lunch. I can't answer it. He leaves me a voicemail, it's about 10 seconds long. I wish I would have saved it. I could have played it for you tonight. When I listen to the voicemail, he is screaming. Call me, call me, call me. And he hung up. I thought, what's happened? He made the wrong decision. Somebody's died. There's a problem. I call him. I say, what happened? And he said, you'd never believe it. He said, but they let me get involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he said, they let me share my testimony. And he said, seven of our football players gave their lives to Jesus tonight. And they want me to bring them to church on Sunday, and they want to get baptized. He said, can you help me get them Bibles? He said, I know right now I couldn't see what was happening, but I'm so thankful I took that first step. It didn't make sense to him, but he, in faith, took the next step. So I want you to answer that question. You only have five minutes. I know it says seven, but you only have five. Ready, set, go. Alright guys, let's bring it back to the platform just for a couple moments. You know, I think oftentimes when we hear about God's call on a person's life, we just automatically think about a pastor, Oh, a pastor gets called to be a pastor, And, and that's true, but I believe God has a calling for every man. I believe every man in here has a calling. And sometimes that's specifically your occupation. Sometimes that can specifically be um, who to marry because, because those things are true. The Lord directs us in all those areas. But I believe God has something very specific for you. And I don't know what that is. My friend Dean, who's coaching and now leading football players to the Lord, I'm thankful that God's put him in that place. We used to have a, a, a guy in our life group. Uh, Shannon. you remember Tyler Patterson. Tyler one time told me he was a dog trainer trained black labs and he competed you would see him on espn on occasion and he told me one time he said you know i just wish i was doing something that actually had more meaning in life he said i love what i do but i just don't really feel like I, he said I, I don't know maybe i should go do something else and over the next couple of months he just began to pray god what are you calling me to do and now he goes and competes all over the country and he's leading bible studies where he goes he's, he's known as this 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 guy that goes and, and and you know what that's what god's called him to do I've asked my wife before, I said, baby, what has God called you to do? And she said, I know with all my heart, God's called me to be a stay-at-home mom for this season. That's what God's called me to do right now. I asked my buddy one time, we were getting ready to graduate college, I said, what is God calling you to do? He said, I don't know. He said, I said, so what are you gonna do? He said, well, I, I've got offered a job, I'm gonna take the job, and I'm gonna work as unto the Lord, and I'm just gonna keep asking the Lord what he's called me to do. And you know what he ended up doing? Ended up joining a little church in Chattanooga, And he ended up just getting poured into and poured into from that church. And he stayed there. And you know what he does? He works as an electrician in Chattanooga. And he serves at that church behind the scenes. He never gets any recognition. He's not a deacon. And you say, well, well, do you have to be a deacon? No. He said, I asked him, I said, why aren't you a deacon? He said, God's not called me to that. He said, I'm a behind the scenes guy. He said, I just get there early. He said, if I need to go clean up. And I asked him one time, I said, is that what God's called you to do? He said, I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. I believe that. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to ask yourself this question right now. What has God called you to do? I don't want you to talk to anybody else at the table. I want you to take about 30 or 45 seconds because I think what happens oftentimes, we get into our occupations, we get into our marriages, we get into our families, and, and we, we we don't even ask this question anymore because the ball of life is rolling and we can't stop it. Sometimes God's calling us to do exactly what we're already doing. But maybe God's calling you to do something different. Maybe God's been after you. I, Talked to a guy in the worship service about three months ago. He said, you know, when I was 18 years old, I believe God called me to, to go to seminary. And I said, I never did it. He said, now here I am in my 50s looking back and saying, look at all the time I wasted. And he said, but you know what? He said, now I, I think I've just got to take that next step of obedience. I'm going to follow up with that guy this week and just see where God's doing with him. So I want you ask yourself the question. I want you to take about 15 seconds of just silence. And I know we don't like silence, but silence is good. Just take about 15 seconds of silence. I just want you to ask the question, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Now I want you to ask this question. Have you answered that call? Are you doing anything in regards to that call? I talked to a guy yesterday. He said, you know, I think I'm supposed to start teaching a class. I said, how long have you felt like that? He said, about three years. I said, well, what are you doing about it? He said, well, I'm talking to you. I said, three years later? He said, well, better late than never. And I thought, well, that's true too. I said, but what are you gonna do about it now? So have you answered that call? I want you just to think about it just for a moment. What has God called me to do? And have I received that call? And then I want you to answer this question. How are you taking the next step? See that guy that I talked to yesterday? I said, here's your next step. I said, I got a book I want you to read. It's a very small book. I want you to come by my office. I want you to pick it up, and I want you to read it over the next two weeks. It's just one simple little step. And while you're reading this book, I just want you to pray, Lord, is this what you're calling me to do? And then I just want you to let the Lord speak to you. So I want you to answer the question. If God's calling me to do something, First of all, have I accepted the call? Secondly, what am I doing about it? And then lastly, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. Do I need to do something different? When I was 16 years old, my dad preached a sermon on serving the community. And he said that I think all believers should be doing something to reach people. So I'm 16, 17 years old. I, got, I said, you know, I got my driver's license. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy two coolers and, uh, on rollers. <clears throat> I'm going to buy some Bibles, and I'm going to put the Bibles in one cooler. In the other cooler, I'm going to put drinks and candy bars, and I'm going to go to the ER because I had seen it done here at Bellevue, Brother David, years before, and we were at our church in Alabama. And so I started going to the ER, and I'd pull these two coolers in there, and I'd just go and I'd say, I'm so sorry for what you're walking through right now. I brought a Bible for you to read if you would like. I've got some refreshments here, and I just want to know if I could pray for you. I did that for about six months, and I thought that it was really going to catch on, and a whole lot of people in the church were going to come with me, and after about six months, I was still doing it by myself, and I was getting really tired. I was getting exhausted. I go to my dad one day. I said, Dad, I need some help. And he said, What do you need help with? I said, The the, the emergency room ministry. I said, Nobody's doing anything. And he said, Well, you are. I said, "I, I know, but I just thought everybody else would do it too. And he said, Well, let me ask you a question. Did the Lord call you to do that? I said, Well, what do you mean? I said, you said I was supposed to go out and serve the community. He said, I said God is calling us all to reach people. He said, has God called you to go to the emergency room and do that? And I said, you know what? I don't think I even prayed about it, to be honest. I just thought it sounded like a great idea. And they did it at Bellevue, so it's got to be right. And he said, you know what? He said, I think you told God what you were going to do, and you're just expecting God to do something incredible. He said, is that really what God's calling you to do? And I began to pray about it. And I really felt the Lord say, Hey, I don't want you to do this right now. Took about a year off. And the Lord called me to do something different. So I just want you to ask just for a moment, what are you doing right now? And is God calling you to do something different? I'm not talking about your occupation. I'm talking about what are you doing for the Lord? Are you praying with your wife? Are you talking to your children about spiritual things? Dear your neighbors that live to the left and the right of you and across the street from you, do they even know that you're a Christian other than when you put the cross out in your yard on Easter? Have you had any spiritual conversations with the people that work in the cubicle beside you? What about the, the guys that you play golf with or you go hunting with? Do they know you love the Lord? Have you talked to them about it? These four questions I've wrestled with over the past week, just ask the Lord, hey, am I doing right now what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm going to send these to you, and I just want you to continue to ask yourselves these questions. As we get ready to close, I want to give you some homework for next week, and here it is. I want you to read 1 Samuel 17, 33 through 37, so it's just a few verses. I want you to read those, and I'll email this to you as well, and I want you to answer these questions. This is the question I want you to work on. How did God prepare David for Goliath? How did God prepare David for Goliath? How does God prepare us for the giants in our lives? And lastly, how can you keep the faith during the preparation process? Those are three questions I want you to work and wrestle through as you read these pas- as you read this passage this next week I'll send all this to you so that you have it. As we get ready to close, I'm going to ask my dear friend Pablo Pereira to come up here and I'm going to ask Pastor Al to come up there. Can can you come up here real quick Pastor Al? We just want to pray over you. I know they did on Sunday, but I want the, I want the Bellevue men right here tonight to pray over you. And I'm going to ask Pablo, Pablo, will you come up here and just pray over Pastor Al? He is the pastor at uh, Jerusalem Baptist Church, and he is also heavily involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes and just serving the Lord, and he's been doing it for a long time. And we just want to ask the Lord to bless him, okay? So it, by the way, if you don't know Pablo Pereira, you need to get to know this guy. This is one of the finest men I know. So Pablo, I'm going to ask Brother Al to come up here.
1: Absolutely. Well, Brother Al, how about you come over here? We may lay some hands on you as well. Man, why don't you come up here? We're going to pray for this pastor. And, uh, and guys, if you can stand your hand, reach your hand. The Bible says to lay hands, so I'm not going to lay a lot of words on you, Pastor. But Lord, we come to you, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, upon your name, Lord. Thank you. Lord, the, the word of God came today. Thank you for Brother Derek, I see prepared, humility is so important for us and i pray right now lord that you would upon your spirit give this man a double portion of your spirit lord and that you will move mountains lord jesus i ask that you will speak your holy name jesus upon this family this congregation and this ministry lord lord i ask you that you will go and bind this strong man lord and that you will release lord that you will give him lord shalom your peace lord that any discouragement And any feeling of insecurity will be gone, Lord. And in his place, you will fill his house with love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. In the name of Jesus, we ask for all of that through the Spirit, Father, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that the word will not be vain, Lord, but it will grow richly, Lord. And we will keep the book of the law always on our lips and we'll meditate day and night. And then we'll be prosperous and successful, not in our own success, but as we spoke tonight, humility, Lord. The less we are, the bigger you are, Father, Lord. And I say, as we talked in our table, that we will give you a blank check and you'll write whatever amount you want. This is your man, Lord. I pray that you will move mountains, that you would open doors and only you can open and you will shut doors and only you can shut, Lord. Lord, in the name of Jesus, give him favor, willingly, abundantly, about all we can ask for. Lord, press down, shake it again, and run it over. Lord, you will give him your spirit, which is freely given to those who believe Jesus. We claim that over Jerusalem and over this pastor. In Jesus' name, amen.